William Jonathan Drayton Jr. Now when I say that name, you're probably sitting there trying to figure out who is William Jonathan Drayton Jr. Because more than likely, you do not know who William Jonathan Drayton Jr. is until I throw up this picture. This is William Jonathan Drayton Jr., better known as... It's good, we got some old school rap fans in here. Appreciate that. Yes, this is Flavor Flav, again, William Jonathan Drayton Jr. Uh, a couple things about Flavor Flav. He was part of the rap group Public Enemy. Public Enemy. There we go. I like to hear that. Uh, was, took a break, and now he's back with them again. Uh, he's known for a couple of things. First, a phrase, yeah, boy, I heard that. I heard that. Amen back there. I heard that. That's what he would say a lot of time, yeah, boy. But he would always wear these clocks around his neck. Everywhere he goes, any picture you see, you see this clock, and you're thinking, why? I mean, is it for looks? Is it a style? Is he nearsighted, and this is the only way he can read what time it is? I mean, what's the deal? A reporter actually asked him, why? Why do you wear these clocks? And here's what William Jonathan Drayton Jr., a.k.a. Flavor Flav, said. He said, the reason why I wear this clock is because it represents time being the most important element in our life. Time can't afford to be wasted. But not only that, God only gave us one life. Each minute we live, we've got to live each second to our best ability. Time brought us up in here, and time can also take us out. What does Flavor Flav have to do with breathing room? Well, I'll get to that in a second. Last week we began this new series called Breathing Room. And we said, and we defined breathing room as the space between our current pace and our limits. And very few of us have space between our current pace and our, our limits. We are always on the go. We are always moving fast. And we have these limits that many of us try to blow past. And the reality is we know we can't do that. And it's important that we have margin in our life. It's important that we have space. It's important that we have this, this breathing room. As we began the series last week, we talked about Moses and these commandments that God gave to Moses. And one of the commandments he gave to Moses came out of Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, and it says, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That God says you've got to rest. Here's what was interesting about God making that commandment. The Israelites, the Hebrews, had been in slavery for over 400 years. They had never, this particular generation had never experienced freedom of any kind they didn't know what freedom was they didn't know what rest and breathing room was and God jumps in and is like hey you got to take a break you, you got to catch your breath in fact I'm commanding you to do this to find the breathing room in your life I, I think if we read that if we understand that that means that you and I we are created for breathing room we're created for space and so it's so important that we have that margin in our lives, in our time, in our finances, in the relationships that we have. And yet again, we go, go, go so quickly, we forget about putting this into our life. I think one of the biggest areas we struggle with this is the clock. It's our schedule. It's our time. If I were to invite you to pull out your phone right now, or if you're a paper person, if you've got your big old paper thing that you bring out, and have your calendar in, which is totally fine. We accept you here at the journey too. We love you. But um, if you were to take either one, my wife's a paper person, so that's why I make fun of that. But um, 
But if you were to pull out your phone or your paper or schedule there and you were to look at it and you show the people beside you what it looked like, my guess is it's full, right? Especially if you do colors, it's multicolored all over the place. I mean, it's just crammed full of all kinds of things, activities, work, meetings. Everything you can think of is in that calendar. Our time is packed and we have very little breathing room in the time that we do have. And so we use phrases like, I'm too busy. I've got too much going on. Or I've got to add another meeting on top of a meeting. You know, we, we keep adding to the calendars that we have. We like to say yes. We don't know how to say no. And we keep saying yes over and over and over again. What does that mean for our lives? Well, I think it means we go through life missing the world around us. Today we walk around sending emails as we're walking. Or we're in the midst of a conversation, and in the midst of the conversation, we're texting someone else. We're, we're checking our, our social media. We, we move quickly, but we have this drive to not stop. And so that's how we live our lives. For those of us that are parents, for some of us, we don't have a dining room in our home anymore. The dining room table has become our car, hasn't it? That's who we are. That's who we have become. We have very little time. Now, we try to fix it. We go to time management seminars. And we're like, man, this is great. This is really good. And so we, we learn a little bit from those. And what do we do when we go to these seminars? We put a little bit in practice. And we do that for a couple of days, maybe a few weeks. And usually by a couple of months out, we're done with that. Or we read the book, The 4-Hour Work Week. We're like, great. I can get all my work done in four hours. Look at how much time I have left to do all these other things. That's not the reason you read a book like that. And yet that's the way we live our lives, cramming things into our calendar over and over and over again, wearing ourselves out. There's something you and I need to understand that our time is our life. Flavor Flav was right, wasn't it? Who knew he held the truth to time and life? Our time is our life. And yet we live such different lives than, than understanding what that truly means. And so the question is, how do you and I spend our time? How do you and I spend our time? I want to go back to Moses. Moses had a very interesting life. In fact, there are really four parts to Moses' life. Uh, the first 40 years, we, we find that we have the Hebrews. They're enslaved. And um, let's just say they were prolific at making children, all right? Uh, and so they begin to outnumber the Egyptians. Well, the Egyptians, the Pharaoh was scared. He was afraid they were going to bind together, come into this band, and, and, and take over the land. And so he sends out this edict. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to kill every male child that is born. This is how we're going to deal with this. Moses' mom, of course, doesn't want this to happen to her child. So she, she grabs a basket, puts this baby Moses in it, and puts him on this river. And it just so happens that the Pharaoh's daughter finds baby Moses in this basket. And she adopts him and, and takes him into her home. And Moses has an incredible life. He begins his life as, as a prince. I mean, he's eating from the Pharaoh's table. He's living in the, the Pharaoh's home. He's wearing Rolexes. He's driving around Lamborghinis. He's got a bidet in his bathroom. I mean, this guy is living the life. That's the first 40 years. The next 40 years are a little bit different. One day Moses is out and he sees an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. And so he jumps in and he kills the, the Egyptian. And he knows this isn't the right thing I'm supposed to. I'm not supposed to do this. This is a bad thing. So what does he do? He runs away. He runs away. He becomes a shepherd. 
He's not counting Benjamins anymore. He's counting sheep. And this is a, a lonely time for, for Moses, a dark time. But then for those 40 years pass, and then there's the next 40 years. God jumps back into his life, or at least he feels that way, I think. Jumps in and says, hey, Moses, I got a job for you. Here's what I want you to do. And in fact, you're the perfect person for this. I want you to go back to Egypt, and you're going to bring my people out of slavery. And so Moses does just that. He goes back to Egypt. He pushes the course a little bit with God. But God helps him bring those people from slavery to freedom and to the desert and to the promised land. It's a pretty amazing story if you think about it. It's incredible to see how God worked in Moses' life and what God allowed Moses to do. But there's a fourth part to his story, and it's the ending. If you and I were writing the ending to Moses' story, I think we would have played it out this way. Moses, you've done some great things. You've done some amazing things. There's no one better to lead my people into the promised land than, than you. And so we'd probably tell Moses, grab that staff. We know you're 120 years old. You're having a hard time walking around, but straighten those shoulders, puff out that chest, and lead my people to the promised land. That's not what happens in the story, is it? God says, hey, Moses, you kind of messed up. He's like, you're, you're not going to be leading my people into the promised land. If you're Moses, what are you feeling at that moment? You're like, do you know what I just did? Have you seen my life? I mean, it's a pretty, it's an amazing story. It should be on Hallmark. This is incredible. This is great stuff. And God, look, the last 40 years, I had to me- those people, it's like a church. Have you ever messed with church people before? They're kind of crazy. I had to mess with those people. For- I was just kidding there. You don't have to get upset about that. That was a joke. Didn't go over very well. Won't use that second service. But anyway. He's like, this is, this is what it was like for me, and now you're going to tell me I'm not going to make it? And God's like, yep, that's the deal. So he takes Moses up on the mountain. He says, Moses, there, you can see the promised land, but you'll never touch it. You'll never touch it. In the book of Psalms, we have a psalm that, um, that was written by Moses. Uh, most people think that David wrote all the Psalms, but he didn't. He wrote about half of them. Others are attributed to other people. But Psalm chapter 90 is probably the oldest psalm that we have, or one of the oldest psalms that we have, oldest song. Some people say it's even a a prayer. If you have your Bible, you can turn there, Psalm chapter 90. If you don't, there are Bibles in front of you there in the seats. You can grab one of those. Like I said last week, hey, if you don't have a Bible at home, if it's trashed, if it's been written in, if you can't find it, you don't know where it is, take it home. That's yours for free. Put up here on the screen. You can also follow along on your Journey Church app. But Psalm chapter 90, we read the psalm, and and scholars think that he is writing this. Moses wrote this at this point in his life. It's at the end. Uh, He's been told he's not going to take the people into the promised land, and so he writes these words. Psalm chapter 90, says verse 1, says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Moses is just saying, hey, God, uh, we're Hebrew, we're the Israelites, and you have always been. We have been a part of your existence. We are, find ourselves within your, in your world, God. Look at verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I remember as a kid, I would lay in bed at night, And I was flummoxed by this one question. Where did God come from? You never figure it out. I understood the forever piece, like beyond now, but I could never figure out that God had no 
beginning because I knew I had a beginning. And I knew my parents had a beginning. And, and sadly, I knew my two younger brothers had a beginning. And, and so I knew all my friends had a beginning. People have a beginning, but, but God doesn't. I mean, it's still, if I think about it today, it really bothers me. Where did God come from? How did God start? Because of our finite minds, that's the way we see things. But, but God has never been, and, or, or never had a beginning. And, and Moses is reminding of us that, that. That God, you have been everlasting, and you will be everlasting. You have always been, and you will always be. Look at verse 3. Right here, Moses is having a really bad day. Here's what he says. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. Encouraging words there from, from Moses. Verse 4, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Um, our oldest, Savannah, we were driving around a few years back, and she told me, she's like, Dad, elementary school was so slow, but middle school, life is so much quicker. I didn't have the heart to tell her, honey, it gets worse as you get older. Doesn't it? Life just flies by, and the older we get, the faster things happen. In, in fact, studies have been done, they came out with us recently, that show that the older we get, time actually does move faster. All right? So if you think it is, it actually is moving pretty, pretty quickly. Um, here Moses is just saying, hey, you know, God, um, time for you is nothing. It, it's quick. It, it flies by. I heard something uh, a couple years ago said that, for God, all of human history is happening at the same time. I thought trying to figure out God not having a starting point was tough. Then I read that, I'm like, no, now you've really got me staying up at night. Think about that. This is what time is like for God. Time is so quick, and yet we find ourselves in the midst of it. Look at verse 5. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. In Hebrew literature, grass was used to talk about the, the frailty of, of humankind, to talk about the brevity of life, and we see Moses is using that here. Uh, scoot on down to verse 10. It says, Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Uh, you know, again, we, we think about our time, and we think we've got a lot of time because we live to around 80, a little bit farther than that if we're lucky. Uh, again, Moses is saying, hey, time just flies by. It, it's quick. It, it comes, and, and it goes, especially if we, we think about it in terms of, of how God sees time. And in time, in our life, we experience bad things. We know that. We experience that ourselves. We, we experience pain and hurt and burden through sort of the rhythms of life, but then, but then life ends, which leads us to verse 12. And this is such a powerful verse. He writes this. He says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. If you don't take anything else out of today, here's what I ask you to do. Take that verse and write it down. Put it on a post-it note, put it on your screensaver, whatever it takes. Tattoo it on your back, I don't care. Because there's so much in there if we really think about it. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. When I look at our lives, here's what I find. We all think we're going to live forever, don't we? And again, if we pulled out our calendars and we started to look through them, that's the way we act. That's how we, we put our, our calendar together. We act like we think that we're going to last forever. 
But that's not the case at all. When it comes to our lives, there's an ending, but there's also a beginning, right? We have a beginning, we have an ending, and Moses is reminding us of that, which means you and I have got a plan accordingly. It makes me think about marriage. Um, there's a time frame between the moment that she says, I will, to the time both of you say, I do, right? There's a time frame there, and you've got a plan accordingly within that time frame. Now, let me say this to the guys out there who are single, you're thinking about getting married, you're engaged, wherever you may be, you're getting to that point. Let me, let me say this to you. There's only two words you need to know. Just two words. And if you remember these words, you're golden, all right? Two words are, yes, dear. That's it, thank you. Yes, dear. You, yeah, you don't have to say anything else. Now, you can change the inflections a little bit, like, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear. But that's all you got to know. And so when she comes to you, she says, this is what I need you to do. You say, yes, dear. Now, I will say this, even after the I, uh, the I do's, I think you probably should still say, yes, dear. But, um, but right now, in that period of time, it's so important. Because, ladies, you do all the work. You're putting the calendar together. You're, you're taking care of all the meetings. You're getting the caterers, the venues, the food, the, the dress fittings. You got to deal with our moms. I mean, we get this. We understand that. But you're planning because you have a beginning and an ending. And you're trying to plan accordingly. How many of us, when we look at our lives, how many of us do that? Or how many of us just go, 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 acting like we're going to live forever? And we go back to Moses. He says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We have to understand our time here on earth is so limited. It can be taken away just like that. And so are we planning accordingly within our lives? Now, I think there are three things that keep us from doing that. Uh, they, they keep us in this mindset of that we're going to live forever. The first thing is we want it. We want it. And now, what is it? It is different for, for all of us in here. It may be success for some of us. It may be a specific income, a, a title. It may be a relationship with someone specific. And so we, we spend our life focused on it. And so if we, again, we look at our calendar, we look at our schedule, we can pretty quickly tell who or what it is because we pack things in there. The work schedule is busy. We work evenings and nights and on the weekend and we add travel and we do these things with our kids because we think they're going to be the greatest athlete in the world. And so we spend time and effort and money and our life trying to give them everything that we can. Why? Because we want it. Can I tell you, if we want it, we're never going to have any breathing room in our life going to take over our lives and for many people it has the question is how important are the relationships that you have how important is your life how important is your connection to god because when we want it we have very limited time to breathe the other thing is we want to be accepted it's funny because many times we try to equate acceptance with kids and we'll say hey kids are doing that they're making those decisions because they want to be accepted by someone else you know who I see that in worse than anybody else? Adults. We want to be accepted by people. We want to be accepted by colleagues, a coach, uh, the people that we work with, a boss. Again, maybe a person. And so we will do and make decisions that will go against anything that we agree with only because we're looking for that acceptance. And so our calendars will be full and packed because we want that individual to accept us. We struggle with that. And when we try to be accepted... Many times it means we have no breathing room. 
And then lastly, we want to measure up. And I think this is the most powerful force in many lives. We want to measure up. Uh, Words are powerful, aren't they? And many times they motivate us, and sometimes they motivate us for good, but, but what I find is many times that the motivation we have comes from something negative in our past. A dad said, you're worthless. A mom said, you're never going to amount to anything. Maybe a coach or a boss said something like that to you before, and they weren't doing that to motivate you to get something done. They were doing that because they, they didn't believe in you at all. And so now in your life, you're living in such a way that you're trying to prove to them that you can do this, that you are worth something. And so what drives us to work long hours, to give up on the relationships we have, is because we want to measure up to what someone else thought about us in the past. Again, I I find this to be one of the most powerful forces in people's lives, and it's not good. This is wrong. This is... I think in many ways very evil and so we misuse our limited time so the question is how do you spend your time why do we spend our time in this way is it because we want it we want to be accepted we want to be or we want to measure up all of us have reasons for the way we spend our limited time but let me go back to Exodus God said rest have space have margin, have breathing room in your life because it's so important for us to have that, to be able to catch our breath on a daily basis. But how do we do that? Well, last week as we started the series, I gave you some homework. And the homework was pretty simple. I asked you to come up with where you needed breathing room in your life. And I hope you wrote that down or you know exactly where that is as you thought about that over the the past week but then this week I've got some more homework for us and I think this is so important for us especially in a culture like we live in here in the metro DC area here are two next steps I think are important first one is this what do I need to remove completely from my schedule do you know vampires are real they are they're called time suckers and everyone in our life or every one of us in this room have time suckers okay we have vampires in our lives uh it it may be in a meeting that you don't need to attend i was talking to a buddy of mine last week and he said he got invited to this meeting at work and so he went to it because he got invited to it and he said he got there and it wasn't about his team it wasn't about any of the work it was he was doing it wasn't anything about him it was about another team and about another project he said he's sitting there for about 30 minutes he was like what am i doing i'm wasting time so he said he just got up and left he didn't even care if anybody said anything to him how many meetings do you have with work that are that are vampires that are just sucking the time out of you because i'm sure they're there or activities that we say we've got to be a part of but we really don't need to be or here's one for you this is big a name who is that person in your life that is a vampire because they are sucking the time away from you and they're out there there are people that in the, the moment you think, hey, I'm helping them, I'm giving them some good advice, I'm, I'm working with them, but, but here's what you'll find. Then all of a sudden, they're calling you every day, they're texting you every day, they're stopping by your house every day, and, and you're like, I, I want to help, but at the same time, I, I need to breathe. See, sometimes those vampires in our life are people that we, we know, people that we're connected to, but they're there. 
But the question is, what is one thing that we can take out of our schedule, out of our calendar? What are the boundaries that we need to sit, set with certain people in our lives so that we, we can breathe? Here's my challenge for you. You got 168 hours a week. What's one hour you can take out? Some of you are like, hey, I figured that out already. It's church. Man, I don't have to come to church. No. You ain't doing jack on Sunday morning anyway, so this doesn't count, all right? It's those other hours during the week. But seriously, what is the one hour you can take and catch your breath and breathe? You've got to find it. But there's another next step here. And the second next step is what do I need to add to my schedule that's not there? And some of you are like, yes, I get to add something to my schedule. I love doing that. I'm talking about important stuff, okay? What's something important that you can add to your calendar? Spending time with your kids? Think about that. Your spouse? I know that sounds weird, but here's the deal. You and I, uh, we function where we have a calendar, right? And we will plan everything else. How many of us in this room have moments during the week where we say, this is my spouse time? And you've got that on your calendar. Again, I know that sounds weird, but if you don't do it, if you don't put it in, you won't do it. Put that time in there. I don't even care if it's 30 minutes. Have a starting point. Look, we're talking about important stuff here. Your relationship's more important than your job, okay? I'm sorry. It is. Your marriage is more important than your job. Your kids are more important than your job. Are you putting an hour back in there, some time during the week? That's important. Or here's another one. Usually when we are too busy, the one thing we pull out is God. Do you have God time in your calendar? Again, if we list it on our calendar, if we put it in our calendar, more than likely we're going to do it. So it may be five minutes for you. You're just getting started. You're trying to figure this thing out. Maybe it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Maybe you love to do that, and it's, it's an hour for you. Whatever it is, are you putting that into your calendar? Because there are things we need to pull out of our calendar, but there are also things that are important that need to go in. And I tell you what, if you put God into your calendar, you're going to find breathing room. And it may just be those moments that you, you stop and, and you read and you journal and you pray. Man, even if it's 15 minutes a day, that's a great starting point. Find that breathing room by removing things from your calendar and adding to it. Well, why is all this important? Bronnie Ware wrote a book called The Five Regrets of the Dying. She was a nurse with hospice, and so this means that she's hanging out with people in their last weeks, uh, days, and hours of, of life. And so she started asking them a question. What do you regret about your life as you look back at it? What are the regrets that you have? And so there are five that came for her top five list, and I, I want to share two of those with you this morning. Her, her first, uh, or her, the number two response that she received was, was this, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. You know who said that every single time? Men. Every single man she talked to said those words, I wished I hadn't worked so hard. Dudes, we got to work on that. We don't need to look back on our life and say, I wished I hadn't worked so hard because I missed out on my kids. And that's what they said. I missed out on my marriage. My marriage failed because of that. That's a regret people have that are on their, their deathbed. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And it seems to be a big issue with men. The number one response she got was, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Now, this came from men and women. Here are people that are on their deathbeds and they have dreams that are unfulfilled. How they live their life? 
probably like us. Go, 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 go. Be as fast as you can. You have no limits. Do everything you can. Cram everything you can into your schedule, into your calendar. Because if you do that, everything's going to be great. You're going to get it. And yet here are these people on their deathbeds, and they say, I lived someone else's life. I didn't live my own life. To me, that's a powerful statement to say. And many of us live that way. We go, 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 go. But here's what happens. We have a health scare. And what takes place when we have a health scare? We, we, we have to stop, don't we? And, and in those moments where we're stopped and we're contemplating our life, we're, we're meditating on, on who we are, we, we think about our life, and in those moments we're like, oh, here's some things I need to change. But then we get better. And what do we do? Do we look back and say, oh, you know what? I said I was going to change these things, and now I need to do that? No. <laughs> we keep moving. We keep going. We don't stop. Until the day we're on our deathbed like these individuals and we say wow I still have all these regrets and here's what happens if we're not careful are some days and you know we all have some days right someday I'll do this someday I'll work on my marriage someday I'll spend time with my kids our some days they're going to turn into last days and when they turn into last days are we going to look back and have all of these regrets about the life that we lived because we crammed so much into our schedule, into our, our time, into our calendars. I get it. We live in a, in, a, in a very busy area of the country. I understand that. But you know what? If we take the time to build a little bit of breathing room in our life, and if we ask God to lead us in that, we'll find that space. We'll find some margin so that when we get to the end of life, we won't have those regrets. And Moses' words are so powerful there in verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You and I, we need to plan accordingly and allow God to give us that breathing room in our life by taking some things out and putting in the important stuff. And I truly believe when we do that, God will use that to build and strengthen our relationships and to make us better people. But we have to be willing to take those steps. Now, are you and I willing to do just that? Breathing room is important because life is short. So my prayer is that we find that space in our life and allow God to lead us to the breathing room that we need.